The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr Fallon and Dr Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome back to Brand New Little People, the podcast where we talk about all things sleep and crying and all the ups and downs that happen in those first few years of parenting. I'm Dr. Fallon Cook and I'm here with my colleague, Dr. Laura Conway. And thank you so much for joining us again. I think we're up to episode 25, Laura. Yeah, I know. My goodness. A quarter of a century. Oh, it's amazing. Um, I was chatting to you the other day and you were saying that you've just had so many people coming into the clinic who are sort of battling with their, I think it was mostly toddlers you were saying, who are just getting Mm -hmm. up the crack of dawn or even earlier. Um, Yes. Yeah. Tell me more about about those cases you've seen. Yeah, I think we might have um, touched upon this in earlier episodes, Fallon, where... um, (laughs) There just seem to be um, ebbs and flows in the clinic in terms of what the main issues are that um, parents are coming to see mm. me about. And last week it was early wakings. My mm. goodness, I, I think I saw about um, eighteen families who have toddlers who were waking <laughs> up at five and just having no intention of going back to bed oh, whatsoever. It's too early. I can't cope. I don't know what you're like, but. I would rather be woken up a couple of times overnight than to get up and start the day at 5 a.m. I just, yes. it, I'm just shattered if I'm up that yeah. early. And, you know, uh, quite a few years ago, I went to a, um, a neurologist about some migraines that I um, have. And I remember going in to see the neurologist and they said to me, you have the look of someone who has got a chronic headache. And I oh. think about that when I see, when I <laughs> see families. Great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> just what you want to hear. <laughs> When I see families in the waiting room and I say, all right, come on in, come into my um, clinic. And they just have that look about them that smacks of early morning wakings. (laughs) Let me guess. A a certain look and a faint scent of coffee in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, So the good news is that um, there are quite a few factors that we can look at and potentially change um, to help improve things for parents who do have those um, toddlers and even older babies who are just waking Mm. for the day early. So um, it's uh, not a hopeless situation. So if you're listening to this um, episode, people, and you have an older baby or a toddler who wants to start the day before the sun comes up, um, what we'll do now for you is just briefly... Um, explain why that might be happening and therefore um, what actions you can take to see um, if you can improve things. Yeah. There, there's always that small proportion of toddlers and um, bigger babies who are going to be resistant and who are morning larks, um, aren't there, Fallon? That doesn't matter mm. what we do. They just have a particular uh, circadian rhythm type that means that they like to start the day 
really early in the same way as yeah. um, some adults. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm. The pity is that some of these morning larks are born to parents who are really not morning larks. No, they're <laughs> the night owls. Where, yeah, that's where it's really um, challenging. So, but yeah, I would say like it's a minority. It, you know, it's most early waking can be resolved, but there will be a few where parents do have to kind of surrender. It's just what mm. you've what you've been served, and there won't be a lot you can do except to kind of factor you know, make changes to your lifestyle so that you're a bit more ready to be up early for your really early rises. Um, But they're the minority. So let's dive into, maybe we start with the sort of environmental factors that can be Mm. causing the early wake-ups. I think the biggest one, I think being in Australia, and I've talked about this a lot, we just have the noisiest birds and they like to get Mm. up really early and tell everyone that they're awake. And for a lot of toddlers, if they can hear the birds starting to make noise, they kind of take that as their cue to get out of bed. Yes. Um, Yeah. And our rubbish truck just went past. I think that's another big one too. Um, Mm. Rubbish truck going past and kind of signaling that daytime's coming. Yeah. Or you've got um, neighbors next door who have a job that means that they're starting super early you know if they're tradies or bakers um Mm. or some other kind of profession that means that they um they have to get going early they might be um closing the garage door or turning on the car engine at some silly Mm. o'clock in the morning and if your baby or toddler's bedroom is facing um the front of the street um that might be something that um is rousing them um, mm. So, of course, you can't stop your neighbours from going you can about try. Their... <laughs> <laughs> They won't like you very much. They won't like you. Um, so when we think about if there's um, uh, noises that are waking your toddler, um, one of the things you could think about doing is using a white noise machine if you're not already using um, uh, such a contraption um and that can help muffle some of those environmental sounds you might put the white noise machine on the windowsill if it is some sounds of the birds or the neighbors um so that you Mm. try and create a bit of a sound barrier um between the noise and your baby's bed um if it's you yourself getting up early in the morning because you're the one who needs to get going really early for your job then you might put the sound machine closer to the um, toddler's bedroom door, for example, if that's where the sound is coming through. Mm, um, that's a good idea. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that sometimes too, if it's a case of siblings waking each other up, um, mm. this is sort of a side note, but if you've got like a toddler and a baby and one of them is waking the other, sometimes it's helpful to put white noise in the room of the child who's being woken by the other one. So often we think, oh, the baby needs the white noise, the toddlers are fine. But actually, if your toddler's being woken up really early from noise from the baby, mm. it might help to put a white noise machine in their room so that it's masking the sounds from the baby's room. Yeah, mm. that's a good point. Other environmental factors that might be leading to early morning wakes um, include light coming in. Um, and that's a relatively simple one to resolve, isn't it, Fallon? Thinking about using block out blinds or putting a towel or a sheet across the curtain rail or along Mm. the um, edge of the door just to try and stop light coming in in the morning. Yeah, Um, yeah, look, and you don't have to invest thousands of dollars in, you know, really expensive external blinds. Um, There are a couple of really good affordable options if you just want to try it out and see if it makes a difference. Um, I know Sleepy Sundays has like a, a film that you can cut that clings to the glass of the window so you can get a really snug fit. Um, 
and it blocks all the light. You know, it's mm. not, not sort of leaving a sticky residue or anything like that. Um, the other one I love and lots of parents say is great is Portafox. And that's the one where it sticks up with suction cups, but actually has a really pretty pattern on it. Mm. So you're not sort of having this really, you know, you've put together a beautiful nursery and then suddenly you've got aluminium foil or black <laughs> plastic or some other thing, you know, covering your windows. Yeah. You can actually make it look pretty at the same time. So, yeah, there's definitely some affordable options um, on the market mm. to try that out. And sometimes it makes a massive difference. So I think it's definitely worth a, a shot. Mm. Mm. And then the final environmental factor would be temperature. Um, mm. And, um, again, being in Australia, <laughs> it can be because it's getting too hot or because it's getting too cold, <laughs> depending yeah. on where about in Australia you are and what time of year it is. Yeah, um, it's pretty yeah, common it's... for it to be, you know, the coldest part of the night around that 4 or 5 a.m. mark. Mm, so I think, yeah. you know, you, you put them down to sleep at night and you think, yep, they dress perfectly, you know, they're comfortable. But then come 4 or 5 a.m., it actually gets quite cold and that prompts them to wake up. Um, and then sometimes they just decide, yep, I'm up now and I'm good. Let's have brekkie and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it can be helpful to, um, if you do have um, air conditioning, to have it set the thermostat set to somewhere between maybe 18 and 20 degrees so that the heating kicks in um, and your baby or toddler's bedroom doesn't ever fall below um, a mm. comfortable temperature. Uh, if that isn't an option for you, then perhaps when you go to bed, um, which presumably is going to be a little bit later than when you put your um, baby or toddler down, um, you um, tuck in a blanket securely over your baby or toddler um, tuck it in across the three sides of the mattress um, so that they're a little bit warmer um, when the temperature does drop a bit later. Mm, good idea. I think as well there's a whole bunch of motivating factors and I think parents are very aware of this too. Sometimes those little people <clears throat> just really want to get up and out of bed because there's something that they're looking for. Um, I think the one that really comes to mind that I probably see the most in clinic is often parents sort of go, oh, it's 5am, it's close enough to morning, I'll just let them come into my bed to have mm -hmm. a little bit more of a snooze or or just to allow that parent to be able to lie flat for a little bit longer before <laughs> they have to get up and start the day. And yeah. I completely understand why you would do this. But I think if you're really trying to work on those morning sleep-ins being a bit longer, um, try to avoid doing that because often, yeah. I mean, we see it time and time again. It started out that they'd come into our bed at 5 a.m. and then it was more like 4 a.m. and now it's 10 p.m. when we go to bed, they come to bed with us. It can yeah. kind of unravel pretty quickly um, because it's motivating. They wake up and think, oh, I wonder if I'm allowed to go and do that yet. And yes. if they put up enough of a fight, you know, and your your uh, resilience is down a bit because you're exhausted, then, yeah, it becomes a pretty slippery slope. Yeah. Um, and there can be other motivating factors, like if you, um, again, we see this commonly, and as I always say to my families who come and see us in clinic, um, there's never any judgment from us. We're parents ourselves, yeah. so we, we, we've lived it. Um, so sometimes um, in order to get that extra hour for our own sanity, we might um, put the TV on, for example, or hand the toddler mm. the um, iPad to watch some episodes of their favourite <laughs> ABC cartoon. Take the iPad and please don't hurt me. <laughs> yes, that's right. yes, you can have a pony. <laughs> Just let me have another hour's sleep, please. <laughs> uh, and in, if that's the case, that can be really motivating for a, um, a toddler 
um, in particular. <laughs> we wouldn't be seeing yeah. that so much in little babies. Um, but, you know, if you've got a mm. three-year-old who knows, excuse me, if they wake up at three, they can um, have an hour <laughs> of watching their favourite shows on ABC yeah. Kids. Uh, they're going to do it. They'll do it because they don't mm-hmm. know the time. They don't know that no. it's 3 a.m. They're like, well, it feels like it's close enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. And also just the, the babies and toddlers that are really heavily reliant on some kind of help to fall asleep as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as they get closer to morning, if they are really reliant on something like feeding to sleep or being patted or rocked to sleep, often they do wake up really early, kind of wanting that same assistance to get back to sleep. But because they're heading towards morning and their sleep drive is getting a little bit low, often parents find that, well, you know, I try to feed them back to sleep or pat them back to sleep. But the minute I stop, they spring awake and get really upset. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that can be another part of the battle as well. So if you do have an association like that happening where they're really reliant on you for support to fall asleep, um, often working on that so that they're able to, to settle a bit more independently for sleep results in them then being able to get through a little bit longer in the morning as well. So mm-hmm. there's lots of different angles we really look at these problems from. Um, but yeah. I think sleep pressure is a big one as well, mm. but we often talk about in clinic yeah what sort of things are you looking for in terms of assessing sleep pressure laura um well if the parent's describing that their um toddler is waking up in the morning and is um just full of beans uh, raring to go um you know 5 a.m um there's an even if they were to bring them into their bed the toddler is just no way they're going to go back to sleep um, then I'd really be looking to see, hmm, it sounds like this child is running out of sleep drive. You know, their sleep pressure has fallen off a cliff at five o'clock in the morning. Um, mm. And so we need to have a look to see what we can do to help them maintain their sleep for a little bit longer. So what I would ordinarily then look at is um, what's happening with the naps during the day. Um, how many naps are they on? How long are the naps? How close to bedtime is the last nap of the day? Um, Mm. and yeah, what time bedtime is, um, how long it's taking and the baby or toddler to go to sleep at the start of the night. Um, and looking to adjust, um, any of those factors. So perhaps, um, cutting a nap if they, um, are of an age where they perhaps don't need that second nap, um, in the day, um, or reducing the duration of a nap so Mm. um would for toddlers i wouldn't really i mean obviously it depends on each toddler's unique sleep needs but you know if they're having a three-hour nap during the day that's probably going to be a little bit too long so you might be Mm. wanting to curtail that nap um and um if they're taking a very long time to fall asleep at the start of the night um perhaps moving um bedtime a little bit later then both of those things so um, you know, working on the naps or moving bedtime a little bit later are just going to increase the chances of your toddler being able to maintain their sleep for longer overnight before their sleep pressure yeah. runs out. Yeah, mm. and that's really because we all have a unique amount of sleep that we biologically need. It's different person to person. Um, it's the same for your toddlers as well. So if their day sleep reduces, and it won't happen immediately, usually it takes a week or so, But if you reduce their day sleep, usually they'll start to try and compensate by catching up on nighttime sleep. Mm. So that's where sometimes we can get slightly longer nights out of them. 
Um, but look, there are definitely times where we address all the environmental factors. There are mm -hmm. no sort of motivating factors um, that are causing them to wake early. We've worked and worked on sleep pressure and after a few weeks, they're just not budging. <laughs> and they're the ones that we tend to kind of call the morning larks, where no matter what mm -hmm. we do, they just wake early. Mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about this earlier, Laura, sometimes you do get to a point where you go, okay, we've tried all those other things really, really consistently for a few weeks. Um, and now we just have, are in a position where we just have to accept that this child is a really early riser. It mm -hmm. might change in future. It might not. Um, but then it's about saying to families, well, how can we, how can we live with this? What, what changes might we need to make to sort of how the household's running so that mm -hmm. everybody can cope with a slightly earlier wake up? Mm. Um, yeah, what do you tend to do with those morning larks, Laura? What do you suggest yeah. to families? Well, because we've often um, looked at reducing day naps or moving bedtime a bit later in an attempt to see if we can um, shift the circadian rhythm a bit later, um, what my um, first port of call will be once we've decided, okay, this is a lark, we've got a lark on our hands, is to um, move bedtime back again. Um, mm. because we don't want to con continually try to shunt the circadian rhythm a bit later, which means squeezing that overnight sleep more and more yes. if it's not then stretching at the yes. start of the day because then we're um, actually impeding them from getting yeah. all of the sleep that they need. Exactly. They can't meet their sleep needs if we do yeah. that too long. Yeah. So um, what I would be suggesting is that we move bedtime a bit earlier again, um, and uh, see if they can maintain their sleep consistently until be it 5, 5.30, whatever time your lark is waking up. Um, and then we look at, um, okay, do you have any other children in the house? What's happening with their circadian rhythm? Um, what's your work schedule like? Is there any way that um, we can um, think about making getting home from work a bit easier so that um, you can get dinner and bath done relatively quickly so that the children and you can get into bed a bit earlier uh, because we're just going to have to embrace this lark circadian mm. rhythm for a while um, and so what can we do to make that easier for your whole family yes mm. and yeah that's so great that you're there to kind of help them plan that out because I think a lot of families feel overwhelmed by that you know we go into parenting thinking often that we will be able to kind of have a lot of um, influence over how these sorts of things play out and then our children just sort of go surprise <laughs> that's not how I work <laughs> yeah um, and so we do have to I remember really early on in my own parenting kind of journey I know you hate that word <laughs> journey, know, Laura. journey anyway <laughs> I'll let it slide <laughs> but I remember thinking my god it is just such a case of learning when you just have to surrender when you know, you can have the best intentions and the best plan um, and think you really you know know what you want to do with this child you have in front of you and then they just say absolutely not mum yeah. or dad we're not doing it that way yeah. and you do have to you know change your expectations around things and that can be really challenging especially if you're the type of adult who really likes to have you know, consistency and predictability and you like to forward plan things. I think parenting can be a little bit of a shock sometimes and mm. that's okay. You know, you learn and you grow and you find ways forward. And it took me a while to realize that, it's, you know, a lot of distress and worry um, for certain periods of time. And then suddenly I'd go, actually, this is fine. I can bend. I can be flexible on this. Yeah. And it's yeah. all just 
part of the journey, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and look, if it has to be that bath time or shower time happens in the morning, so be it. I mean, you said bath time has to be before bed. If your child needs to be in bed by 6.30 because they're going to be up at 5 no matter what, then have the bath and shower in the morning. Yeah, and, yeah, and if you live yeah. remotely, <clears throat> there's a very good chance you probably bathe your kids at lunchtime because by lunchtime they've already been out in the dirt, they're filthy. <laughs> That's completely fine. Yeah, exactly. You've got to bend with with what's happening. Um, we had a couple of great questions come through, Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is from Rebecca. That, mm-hmm. that you, of course, my screen has just gone black on my computer. Okay, <laughs> just decided. Nope, nope. We've had enough of that. All right. Doesn't want um, to be on this journey with you now, Fallon. Yeah, <laughs> it's throwing me <laughs> curveball to keep me on my toes. Uh, okay, so yes, Rebecca um, is a new Sonbell member um, and she had some great questions. So she says, mm. I was just wondering if I can work on nighttime sleep and cot settling and leave the naps for a different time. She said, ideally, I know I could do both at the same time, but I've got two other kids. So with school drop off and pick up and kinder and swimming and all the other activities that they have, Mm -hmm. um, often when it's time for a nap, I just can't be sitting there for, you know, 30 minutes to work on cot settling, you know, hoping to get a nap um, in there. Mm. Um, I think that is very, very understandable as someone with three kids. You've just got to roll with what the older ones need to do. Um, it's completely fine. If you just want to work on the nighttime settling um, in the cot, go for it. That's when, <clears throat> excuse me, that's when their sleep pressure is typically higher overnight. So parents are much more likely to have success with cot settling. Um, mm. We have a lot of families who see us in clinic and they can manage to do the overnight cot settling, but they just don't have the energy or stamina to, to work on cot settling for daytime naps as mm-hmm. well. And we usually just say, pop them in the pram, pop them in the car. They can nap on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we often forget too that a nap in the pram is reasonably independent settling. Mm-hmm. Like aside from the movement of the pram, they're kind of doing that work of getting themselves off to sleep um, on their own. So um, I think it counts. Do you think it counts, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got to be um, pragmatic about these things. Um, and, um, yeah, it's um, it's perfectly reasonable for, um, for Re- uh, Rebecca to pop her baby down into the cot or the uh, into the the pram or the car during the day um and just concentrate on the nighttime sleep what we sometimes find um rebecca is that once um you've worked on that cot settling overnight that those um new skills that your baby has acquired do start to generalize during the day so what you might Mm. find is that um you've um initially not done any cot settling for the day naps and you've done all the naps um, on the go um, but you've done two weeks worth of cot settling and your baby's sleeping through the night really nicely or just waking for you know fees or nappy changes um, and then one day you'll be at home um, something maybe a child is sick and swimming lessons are off and you're at home and you can do that nap in the cot and you'll go mm. oh I'll just give it a try and you'll be so surprised because you'll put your baby yeah. down in the cot for that morning nap. And for the first time ever, they will go off to sleep easily. Yeah, in they've had cot. that practice. They know what mm-hmm. to do. And then where you've been dreading having, you know, 30 minutes of trying to settle them in the cot for the nap, it might only be five minutes or 10 minutes or something. So much yeah. more manageable. 
Um, yeah, yep, good idea. Um, she also asked, um, when we talk about patting in the cot, what does it actually look like? So some people out there say, you know, you need to roll your baby onto their side and pat them on the back or the bum. Um, others say to just pat them on the chest or the arm or, yeah, so Rebecca's wondering, what does that actually look like? And I don't think there's a really clear answer here. I think as parents often kind of know where their baby likes to be patted, mm-hmm. um, you know, more than what we would. Um, generally, uh, with families in clinic, I say, look, because you're putting them down on their back for sleep, I'm assuming you're following the safe sleep guidelines, then I'd probably just be doing the pats on their chest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you've got a baby who loves a bum pat, well, you might roll them on their side, pat them on the bum, but just make sure you're rolling them onto their back again. Um, would you have anything to add to that, Laura? I would say that there isn't a magic pat. I wish there was. <laughs> um, yes. And... <laughs> well, there kind of is, though. The heartbeat pat is the one I often go to. Oh, okay. So rather than yeah. it being like boom, I don't know if this is going to come through the microphone, it's more of a boom, 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 boom. And that mm. kind of mimics the sound of the heartbeat that they're mm. used to um, from when they were still in the womb. But, I mean, it's not magic. It really isn't (laughs) magic. But sometimes they find that a little bit more soothing. Yes. And really it's about being consistent. So whatever patting approach you do. So you can try the magic heartbeat pat or you can try the um, roll your baby onto the side and pat the bum. Um, But always try to pat in the same rhythm. Um, Don't be Mm. um, patting really fast and then going slow and then going fast again and then going slow again. I see so many families who do that. They say, I don't know who's been giving this advice, but they say, when my baby cries harder, I pat faster. And then as they calm down, I pat slower. And I always say, no, just keep patting slowly. Because if it is kind of mimicking, the reason babies like patting is generally because in the womb, they're getting kind of patted by your heartbeat. Um, And it's familiar. So if you want to make them calm, you want that calmer sounding heartbeat. It's, I mean, that's what I makes sense in my head anyway, that you would yeah. just keep it calm and steady, even if they are getting really worked up because something faster and more erratic, I don't know. I think I'd find that, I just think personally I'd find that unsettling, but I suppose we're all different, aren't we? You know, all babies yeah. are different too. So Yeah, but yeah. try to uh, pick one particular way of patting that you like and that your baby seems to like and just do it really, really consistently. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I hope that helps. Rebecca, um, we've had another question, haven't we, Fallon, from mm. uh, Kimberly, um, and she has asked, um, so she's completing a sleep diary um, for her five-month-old, um, and the five-month-old baby wakes up in the night and absolutely screams, um, and Kimberly isn't sure if it's the four-month sleep progression, um, or if she's starting to teethe, or what's happening. Um, but whether we have any particular tips when babies are so distraught when they wake overnight. Over oh, to you, really Fallon. It's really tough, isn't it? <laughs> you know, in those first few months, often, well, I'm generalising here, but often they wake up and they have a bit of a cry, but often it is around that four or five month mark, they start to wake up with a, a cry that is just different <laughs> because mm-hmm. what's really happening around that four to five month mark is they are starting to feel very unsettled if they fall asleep in one place and then wake up somewhere different or if someone's Mm -hmm. present when they fall asleep and then they wake up and that person's not there they find it really unsettling and it startles them and yeah I think that's why a lot of parents really see different behavior during those wake-ups from about that sort of four or five month mark 
So first up, I'd be thinking about um, how's your baby falling asleep. Um, chances are you're doing some bell. There's probably something you're wanting to change about how you're settling them. And it's likely that, you know, if there is some sort of feed to sleep or hold to sleep or pat to sleep type of association, um, it might be that that's starting to become more of a problem at the moment um, because they are kind of waking up with that bit of a startle. Um, so I'd definitely be working on that. Um, so picking a strategy in the Sunbell program that, that encourages the more independent settling, um, mm. that would probably reduce um, that sort of reaction that you're seeing in your baby at night time because if they have fallen asleep in their cot without needing a lot of support and they wake up and everything's exactly the same as when they mm -hmm. fell asleep, there's no surprise or shock to be had. Um, mm -hmm. They're much more likely to kind of look around and go, yep, this all looks pretty pretty standard, pretty ordinary, mm -hmm. um, and then get themselves back off to sleep. Um, so I'd be thinking about that. I think the pain, you know, is, is it due to teeth or something else? It's always a really tricky one to pick apart. If you suspect teething or illness, I think definitely um, use pain relief like Panadol or Nurofen um, as guided by your GP. But that's going to mean that any wake-ups that happen in the following sort of four to six hours um, are pretty unlikely you know, due to pain. So if you still had your baby waking up and really screaming, um, mm. you could sort of go, okay, it's probably not pain. It's probably more that they're getting a bit of a surprise that something's changed in the environment. Um, yeah. But I guess it's one of those things too where sometimes we just don't know. Some of them <laughs> love to just wake up with an almighty shriek. <laughs> it's just how yeah. they are and we don't fully understand it. Um, but I'd be keeping in mind that, you know, the crying itself is not is not harmful. I think a lot of parents mm -hmm. really worry that if my baby cries really hard, that's damaging them. It's not. It's potentially what's causing the crying might be causing harm if they were hungry or in mm -hmm. pain or something like that. Um, but babies can sometimes really scream and cry a lot um, without there necessarily being something really drastically wrong. It just sounds like something is really drastically wrong. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah. I think definitely, um, you know, and in some bowel, we've got that crying checklist. So work through that and that will help you rule mm. out, um, you know, whether there is actually something um, wrong. Yeah. There. So hopefully that gives you a few clues, Kimberly, on... Um, you know, things to consider and, and try. And we can't yeah. wait to hear how you go. Once you've got that sleep diary together, you'll know your baby's unique sleep needs and you can start to dig into the settling as well. So it's very exciting times. Yeah. <laughs> I would just add, um, Kimberly, that when your baby does um, wake up in the night and you do feel that they're really distraught, you know, you can um, pick her up, give her a cuddle, calm her down yeah, in your arms um and make sure that you're meeting all of her needs feeding and um, nappy change wise um if you're having um finding it a little bit tricky to log all of those wakes overnight um it can be a, a tip we've had from other families um if they're trying to complete a sleep diary and their baby's waking up multiple times overnight and they find it a bit hard to complete the sleep diary at the time they just take a screenshot of their phone each time yes. their baby that wakes. It shows the time. It shows yeah. the time. And then later on, you know, the next day when you go to fill in the sleep diary, you can just have a look and go, oh, yeah, right, it was four times last night and these were the rough times. And I know they were roughly awake for five or ten minutes each time. And then you can yes. complete the sleep diary then. Yes, it makes it so much easier because we know that keeping a sleep diary can feel like hard work. So... Yeah, when there's a good hack, it's got to be shared. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening in. Um, if you're struggling with early rising in your toddler and you're needing more help, well, the good news is that come the end of next week, 
uh, we should be ready to launch our toddler program in Sunbell. We have had so many people um, join our wait list and we're really excited that you guys are really excited about it because it is I'm so pr- I've never been so proud of anything in my life. My PhD <laughs> thesis can go get in the bin. I'm excited about this program. <laughs> it really is amazing yeah. and it's so it's so exciting to see it all come together. Um, yeah. And of course, if you're struggling with baby sleep, our baby programs in Sunbell um, are fantastic. Um, and if you're a member and you've got questions for us, please send them in um, and we will get to those next week. But um, have a great week, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. If you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, then you need Sunbell. Sunbell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic for babies aged 0 to 12 months. It contains all the best resources from Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura's sleep clinics, so you can rest easy and soak in your baby. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.